join me in Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. Um, we did the parable of the sower a couple of weeks ago, and this whole section is filled with, with parables, short parables. Uh, there are anywhere from six to seven parables here, depending on how you count it. And um, what's interesting about the parables that start in verse 24 is that they have a common phrase. And that phrase is, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so Jesus is giving a description of the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And he's using these examples, these quick examples. They're, you might even call them snapshots. Okay, This is just a, a picture, a word picture, an image of something. And there's something we gain from it that tells us, okay, this is what that kingdom is like. Now you back up in Matthew... And the kingdom of heaven is defined in uh, Matthew, well, it's, it's it, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it starts out with the Beatitudes or the blessings and says, um, you know, you've got, this, you've got this, well, here, let's take a look at it, 5, 3. And you, um, you have Jesus declaring right, off the, right, right at the start. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then that picks up again in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you look at verse 20. We'll go back to 19. Anyone who sets aside the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And, and that's important. Practices and teaches. It's not both and either or. It's just practices and teaches. It's, they go together. For, for Jesus and where he's going to end up with the image of the wise builder and the foolish builder is, if you're going to teach this, you've got to do it. It only makes sense. Otherwise, if you're not doing it and you teach it, you're, you, you don't really, you're not really teaching it. He says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about those teachers of the law or those scribes, those, um, those scholars and experts on the requirements of the, of the law, the will of God. Well, this, this sermon in, in 13, this collection of parables, is very much a sequel to the uh, Sermon on the Mount because a lot of those ideas show up again here even the thought about scribes but he's talking about a scribe in the kingdom of heaven and we'll we'll we'll, close, we'll we'll conclude with that but what is he trying to say about the kingdom of heaven well if you go back to the sermon on the mount the kingdom of heaven has something to do with righteousness it has something to do about the way we live it's not just political territory in fact jesus says it's anything but political territory it's it's uh, it's certainly not that. He said, you know, he said, my kingdom's not of this world, not of this earth. Otherwise, my followers would fight for me, but that, that, that's not what the kingdom's about. Okay, and the kingdom of heaven is not about establishing a rule somewhere in this world as a physical government. He's not, he tells them quite often, I am not the kind of Messiah that you're expecting in the tradition of um, the warrior kings of Israel, but I am definitely their heir and their 
I definitely sit on their throne, and yet I'm greater because His way and His kingdom is a rule over hearts and minds, but also the people who live out and practice that. When we say it's an invisible kingdom, don't think that it's intangible and has nothing to do with the way we live. It's, it's quite the opposite. It has everything to do with the way we live and the way we think and the way we feel and the way we treat others and the way we look at the world. And so his kingdom is a way of life. And yet, there's so much more to it still than that. Um, that's why I think he teaches in parables because anytime you try to reduce the kingdom of heaven down to a this or a that, you've missed it. It's so much more. Um, So let's see what Jesus says in these parables. First one, Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Well, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at that time I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now this parable gets an explanation if you move down to verse 36. Uh, His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He said, The one who sold the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. So if you need a scorecard, there it is. He gave it to you right there. Okay, so what does it mean? He says, well, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they'll throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Um, Compare that phrase in 43, because we we usually stop at the weeping and gnashing of teeth. But here he he gives both options. Uh, Those who are wicked will be thrown into the blazing furnace furnace but the righteous will stand out the righteous will be recognized wasn't that the the opening meaning of the sermon on the mount blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness why theirs is the kingdom of heaven he's saying the day is coming when you're going to be recognized all that righteousness that right now you're you're striving for and you're living for and you're thinking does anyone care does anyone notice he's saying yes in the end it will matter so don't give up I mean, there's all kinds of encouragement to take from that. And by, you know, why does he call himself the son of man in all of this? Well, that's a good question. And the reason why is because if you look at um, the other places where the son of man is mentioned uh, in the Bible and outside the Bible, some of those uh, texts that are outside the Bible talk about the son of man like uh, First Enoch. But even in Daniel, you read about the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the one who comes and will judge all things. The one who sorts out what's righteous and what's wicked. 
So for, G- for Jesus identifies himself as that authoritative figure who will sort this out. He knows best. Now, if we go back into the world of the parable, here, I, I love these servants. Here are these servants who show up, and they're so eager to help. And they say, um, you know, there's weeds out there with all the, the good wheat. Don't worry, sir. We'll go out there and we'll pull them up. We'll clean the field up. And I think the master is saying, mm, just leave it alone. Because it's going to grow. It's going to be fine. And you don't know the difference between weed and wheat. <laughs> you, you're, you're, just, you're, you're good harvesters, but you're not that good. And um, I was telling someone that, or I was telling uh, some of the folks at the WOW luncheon that I've got photographic proof that I grew up on a farm, but I, I tell you this at the same time, I don't know a thing about it. I mean, I did what I was told, and uh, you know, Grandpa would tell me to do this and I'd do this, tell me to do this. Now, he had the ability, you know, he could take the little chicks when the little chicks were born and we, we loved it. Little chicks would get born and we'd go and gather the eggs and everything and of course, chicks to us were just these little uh, yellow uh, fluff balls, you know, they were all the same. And then one day he asked me, he goes, now, is that a boy or a girl chick you've got there? And I'm like, I have no idea. They all look alike. But he could tell the difference. He knew how to do that. He knew how to look at the wings. And I don't know how he did it. I wish he had taught me. But it, um, the master knows the difference. And he will be the judge. And this parable says so many things to us. And one of the things it says is, wait for the judgment of God. Wait for the judgment of the Son of Man. And, of course, there's an encouragement here that we're growing up in the world and we're thinking, you know, there's people that look a lot like us and they resemble us and they, they claim to be with us, but they're, they're not living out the righteousness. They're not, they're not bearing the fruit of the kingdom of heaven. And when we get anxious and think, well, we've got to do something about that, the Lord of the harvest says, you just wait till the harvest. We'll sort it out then. There's your, there's your, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. We'll just leave it at that for now because uh, you can sometimes pack too much into these. But, but just, you know, ruminate on that and see what uh, you come up with. Now you've got two more parables. It's real simple. Told them another parable, verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all seed. Yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and it becomes a tree. So that the birds come and perch in its branches. And he told them another. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable so that what was fulfilled was spoken through the prophet. I'll open my mouth in parables. I'll utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Mustard seed and yeast. And we like those images. What are, they, what are they really saying? They're saying that sometimes you don't see the kingdom. You don't notice it. Um, it, it we live in, in, in Bible Belt America, and we're, we're, we're starting to get a little anxious because the influence of the church is waning, and the influence of uh, Christian faith is waning. And there's some... There's some things to lament about that. There's some things to be troubled about on that. But at the same time, that's not unusual. It's not going to be the, it's not going to be the decline or the defeat of the church. Not at all. 
It may be sad for our nation. It may be sad for our culture. But don't worry about the church. God's church thrives in places where you'd never think that it thrives. Uh, Dan Bouchelle, who was here a couple years ago with Mission Resource Network, told us that one of the things that those who study missions are learning is that when the, um, when the communists, about 50 or 60 years ago, whatever it was, sent all the uh, Christian missionaries out of China, people wondered, well, what's going to happen to the church then? Well, since they've been reopening some communication with that, they found out that, guess what? Many of those church groups have thrived. They've grown in the midst of a hostile environment. They've grown because the mustard seed will do its work. It's not going to be stopped. It's going to keep growing, and it'll spread out. It has influence. Uh, same way with the yeast uh, or the leaven. Uh, remember that this is the first century. They're not concerned with microbiology. They, they, you know, what is, a, what is a yeast? But if you've ever made the sourdough bread, and I do remember my, uh, my mother and my grandmother making this, and they'd have these bowls there with this sourdough, and they'd have to take some of this, put it into there. And I always thought, well, now why do you have to do that? Well, because that was your way of spreading the influence. You had to, to take some of that batch and put it over here so that it could grow out. You know, this parable today, what we might say, a, a phrase that we use is that the kingdom of heaven can go viral. <laughs> that, um, you know, it sounds bad, but when you're, when you're uh, on, uh, in, in communications or the internet or social media, sometimes going viral is a good thing because your message gets out and people pay attention to it. It spreads. People pick it up and they communicate it. Well, yes, the kingdom of heaven is a good virus that can spread out in the world. And even when we think that things are, are working against it, it just keeps growing and thriving and building. So there's another thing that he's indicated about the kingdom of heaven. Even though, it, you know, even though we may not be the ones in power, even though our people may not be in power, even though it looks like all the world is against us, he says, don't count out the kingdom of heaven. It's like the mustard seed. It's like the leaven. It just keeps growing and growing. Verse 44, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. We, uh, we got to know, years ago, we got to know the woman who lived in this property over here that uh, belongs to the university. And um, I actually preached at her funeral. She passed away. And all of the people that knew her said that... Um, there was a story about her that she had taken, um, her and her husband at the time of their divorce, she had taken all her, his wealth, it was all in um, cash, and she liquidated it and put it in a coffee can and hid it back there in that field. I thought, oh boy, if we could just get that field, I mean, you know, we'd get it and you'd instantly get a boost. But the guy also said, don't worry, she worked with all the lawyers in town, and every lawyer with a, with a metal detector has been combing that field for years. <laughs> Uh, it's a great story. I still remember it. But, you know, here he's, this is, uh, you know, this is a little, this is a little Jed Clampett uh, parable right here because he's, you know, he's got his little old cheap field, but there's a treasure underneath, you know, Texas tea. And here the man knows, okay, the, 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 and everybody worries about this guy. It's like, well, now, wait a second. Is that fair? Should he have bought it? You know, that's not the point. 
<laughs> the point is, this guy knows, hey, there's a treasure in that field. If I buy the field, then it all belongs to me. Leave it be. We don't have to judge the morality of the people in the parables. You just have to get what's going on. And the, the message here is, is that the kingdom of heaven is worth it. It's, it's worth, um, you know, give, selling everything you have to buy, a, just to buy what looks like a field. So if we ever wonder, you know, is it worth it to put the teachings of Jesus into practice? If it costs us so much, if it's, uh, you know, if it's not going to pay off right away, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. It, it, it has eternal uh, dividends. And then the other one, uh, just to kind of build up on this, is that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. It's not the pearl, but it's the merchant. Did you notice that? Um, in the first one, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. But in this one, it's like a merchant. I don't know if there's too much of a distinction in that other than, you know, one focuses on the benefit of the kingdom and the other focuses on the people of the kingdom and, and what they value. The merchant sees this pearl, and he says, oh, he says, I know what this pearl's worth. I've got this, um, uh, you know, hope that I'm going to find some old treasure, something that somebody doesn't know what it is that they have, and that it's going to be worth a whole lot of money. And uh, I've heard stories of people who've done that, that, um, you know, they've told these collectors, these, uh, these guys who collect all this old stuff, they've said, hey, would you come and get this stuff and just throw it away because it's not worth much? And then they'll find something that's incredibly valuable, you know, like a copy of Superman or some, you know, rare item or Mickey Mouse doll or something like that. And they'll say, you know what you got here? And they'll say, I don't really care what I got there. You just take it away. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. And then, and then they're a millionaire. Uh, and, you know, we all have that hope, and we've even got shows about that. But he says that's what this is like. That merchant knows what that pearl is worth. He recognizes the value, and he will sell anything to have it. And the kingdom of heaven is what it, it, it is that it's a treasure worth the effort, and we are also treasure hunters who know what it's worth. And then you've got your last parable here with the net. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. That was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. And they sat down and they collected the good fish in baskets. But they threw the bad ones away. And that, that they're just, you know, they're just getting rid of the, the, the stuff that's no good to eat. You know, you keep the good fish, throw out all the weird little creatures and trash and everything else. They, uh, they're sorting it out. He says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, you know, if, if, if Jesus were um, uh, taking a uh, class on creative writing or metaphors, they'd, they'd probably not like this because all of a sudden he's gone from this seaside net image and then he just went to burning furnace, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where does that come from? Well, fair enough, but you know what? This is Jesus, and he's telling the parable, and so take it for what it is. Uh, he knows what he's saying. He's recalling that image up above about the harvest, and if you think, well, this parable's kind of like that one, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's all about that sorting that goes on at the end, but if you see a common theme in all of these parables, what would it be? Well, the kingdom of heaven is like and it has to do with the way people live and what they invest themselves in. 
the wickedness or the wicked and the righteous and what's going to come at the end where all of this gets revealed and that which is valuable that which is has true worth the righteousness is going to endure but wickedness and evil is not sin will not endure so at the end he's asking his disciples have you understood all these things yes they replied and in verse 52 he says Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Here he's talking about a, a disciple, a learner in this kingdom of heaven that he's just talked about. Someone who's growing and learning what this kingdom is all about. But he also calls him a teacher of the law, which is that term for scribe. Our righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The, the, their definition of righteousness was externally managing everything. The appearance, the practices, the procedures. But they weren't changed. They weren't transformed. Um, they were like the, the foolish builders who built a house, and no matter what that house looks like or how wonderful it is, it was on a, it was on a, um, a shaky foundation. Here he says the scribe in the kingdom of heaven is going to be able to draw from, you know, he says it's like a, a householder who in the storeroom has treasures. Well, are they old or are they new? He says it's both. A good kingdom scribe knows the value of both old and new. And Jesus has, has modeled that for us. He's using the language of the old law. He's using the language that they would know from centuries of, um, of God's word. But unlike the Pharisees and the scribes who, you know, Jesus, they always marveled at Jesus because he taught as one with authority. That tells me that scribes and Pharisees must have preached and taught as those who did not have authority. No one was really listening to them because, as Jesus will say to them later in the woes, he'll say, well, you lock up the gates of the kingdom of heaven, you don't even go in yourself. But here he's inviting the scribes to come in, and he says, you know, we can take that old stuff and we can find the freshness and the newness that goes with it too. And so when we rediscover this, we're rediscovering our roots and our heritage. We're not just relying on the things of old because they're old, but we're updating them, we're renewing them, we're owning them all over again. And it's fresh. Now, Christianity and the church have been growing along in their mustard seed, leaven sort of a way now for something like 20 centuries. Um, by some reckoning, that's old. That's a long time. Certainly is when you compare it to our lifetime. But in God's perspective, that's not, that's not that long. And just because it's been around for that long, we can't rest on it and say, well, it's good because it's been around a long time. Sure, it's good that it has been around a long time, but it's also good because in some ways it's always new. The good news is still news. When we've reduced the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, the good news of the kingdom of heaven, down to an old, uh, tired cliche, 
we have done a disservice to the gospel. In the sermon this morning, we were talking about where our story, our own individual personal story, meets the gospel story. That's how the gospel stays new. Because the gospel is the same. It is the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It it, it doesn't change. It doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need to be remarketed or changed up. It is you know, it is a message of hope like no other. It's what you'll find in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, it is Jesus Christ, him and his life and his teaching. But you and I have to own it like it's news, like it's something for us too, because it is. And when we do, we share that, and we're bringing out of the storehouse treasures old and new at the same time. So imagine that this is a, uh, a buffet and all of these little parables are lined out there in the buffet to give you a full experience of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I'll just leave it there with us because we can, we can hear the parables and you know, I'll, just, I'll say uh, for those of us with ears, let us hear. <laughs> so we're going to sing a song now and if you need to partake of communion that's prepared in room 100 and then uh, after this song Stan will lead us in a prayer. Let's let's stand up and sing.